Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home along with her two sons. The name of one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And the name of the other, Eliezer, for he said, The God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness, where he was encamped at the mountain of God. And when he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other, of their welfare, and went into the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way, and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel, in that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute... They come to me and I decide between one person and another and I make them known the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cares to God. And you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them known the way in which they must walk 
and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and all this people also will go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties and of tens. And they judged the people at all times. Any hard case, they brought to Moses. But any small matter, they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. That could be quite hard to um, make the move from the amazing to the everyday. I wonder if you've had moments like that. I mean, the classic moment is like a kid's birthday party where everything's revved up. It's super fun. It's all about them for those three hours or however long it is. And then after that, you've somehow got to come into land and transition from that amazing moment into the everyday. And there's tears. It's difficult. People are tired. I mean, you, you, you have those moments. The other thing that sort of stands out to me is, I don't know if you remember like what open days were like at maybe school or university. Maybe you've recently had to move schools. And you have an open day, and the teachers really bring their A game. Like, it's interactive, you use the Bunsen burners, you play games, and then you go to the school, and it gets into a few weeks in September, you're like, what happened? That was amazing. This is every day. You can have that. I really thought about that, felt it this week. For me, it's like when you have snow, get up in the morning, and the snow is amazing. It's beautiful, but it doesn't take long before it turns to sludge. And you go from the amazing into the everyday. And it can be that Christian life feels like that a little bit. The Christian life feels like that jarring movement from the amazing to the everyday. Maybe you had as a Christian an amazing moment in your past, and then you're thinking, but that feels a long time ago. It could be that Sundays, it feels really easy and amazing and encouraging to be a Christian, but then you get into the midweek and it feels like you've gone from snow to sludge. Or it could be that you're still waiting for the amazing and you just feel stuck in the everyday. All you've known is kind of sludge. And you, and you might feel like that. And you might feel like that particularly as we've been going through the book of Exodus. Because the Exodus, the book of Exodus, has been chock full of amazing. We've had a burning bush in the desert. We've then had um, signs and wonders from Moses. We've had plagues. We've had the parting of the Red Sea. We've had God's miraculous provision, as we did the maths last week, of 48 billion whatever meals in the desert. And you might be looking at that and saying, that looks amazing, but I live in the everyday. I live after the Exodus. 
Sorry, I'm getting tangled up in that. Please forgive me. Um, uh, I, you know, I, I don't live like that. My, that. This looks like snow. I live in the sludge. And when we feel like that, if we feel like that, or more likely when we feel like that, we need this chapter of Exodus. Because this chapter of Exodus is for people after the Exodus. This is for people who live after the amazing and actually in the everyday. Um, This chapter sets up how people are to live in the everyday. We meet a guy called Jethro, and Jethro is there. He missed it all. Okay, Moses went away. um, uh, Back in chapter 3, Moses was living with him. Moses went away. You know, last thing Jethro knew, Moses was his son-in-law and was looking after the sheep. And now he hears about all this amazing stuff. He wasn't there. He didn't see it. And now he just hears about it. We see Jethro, and like us, he's there in the everyday. He wasn't there for the amazing. And as we're there with Jethro today in Exodus 18, we can see ourselves there. We can see ourselves in that everyday, the other side of the Exodus. Now, Aldi, Aldi offers us the amazing everyday or everyday amazing. Aldi offers that to us, but Exodus got there first. Because what it will do is it will show us in the everyday, in the everyday, something amazing. As we stand with Jethro in the everyday, we're called like Jethro by God. He says to us, hear me and know me. He says to Jethro, learn about me and live for me and grow. Hear and know. Learn and grow. That is what the Lord says to us in the everyday. And that is what will bring that amazing into the everyday. So let's see that um, together. In, in, in the first half of, if you've closed your Bibles, it's on page um, 71 on the page on the Bibles in front of you. And we join Jethro in, in, in the first part of this chapter, verses 1 to, to about 12 there. And, um, and Jethro, like I said, Jethro has heard, like my son-in-law, who was just like a shepherd, I'm now hearing these amazing things. So verse 1, he hears about it, and, and, and he hears about what's going on. And verse, verses 1 to 8, he wants to know more. He wants to know more. And, and verses 2 to, to 4, we get a little bit of a, um, uh, a back, uh, what do they call it, like... Um, Backflash? That's not fast forward. And that, that, that moment when, you know, in a film they go back and you hear about what's happening and it turns out that Jethro has been looking after Moses' um, kids. And actually we find that um, Moses has been faithfully sharing about his faith in God over the years. I wonder if you caught that when it was read. He's, his, his whole life has been shaped by, by expressing his faithfulness to God. The names he gives his kids. Um, so uh, verse 3 the, the children, the grandchildren had been with Jethro and, and with, with his, uh, Moses' wife, verse 3, along with her two sons. The name of one was Gershom, for he said, I've been a sojourner in a foreign land. And the name of the other was Eleazar, for he said, the God my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. For the whole of these children's lives, their father, Moses, had been expressing his faith to God. I mean, you imagine that might have been slightly awkward for some of that time. As Moses lived there with his father-in-law, a pagan priest, Moses loving the Lord, Moses naming his kid, I don't belong here. Moses naming his kid, the Lord will deliver us. You imagine what that's like. It's one thing looking after the grandchildren. It's another thing if the grandchildren's name is, I don't really belong here, and we don't follow your God. 
in the morning, I don't belong here, please could you pass me the salts? You know, I don't really trust in your God, please could you pass me the toast? So his life has, has been surrounded by this faithful expression of Moses' faith in God, but now as they come back to this place, Moses now expresses God's, tells the story of God's faithfulness to them, God's faithfulness to his promise. Verse 5 to 8, um, we, we see that coming. So verse 5, um, Moses' father-in-law comes out to see him. They're there in the mountain of God in the desert where this all began back in chapter 3. Moses goes out to meet him. Verse 6, bows down if you're you know, a son-in-law. This is good, you know, bows down before him and kisses him. Maybe you need to greet your father-in-law like that if you gave your kids those sorts of names. But he, he greets him, he, he embraces him, and he tells him all about it. In verse 8, Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake. He tells them, verse, about how, at the end of verse 8, how the Lord had delivered them. Jethro hears, he's heard through Mo, of Moses' faith in God, he's heard about God's faithfulness to deliver his people, and now, verse 9 to 12, he hears, he knows, he knows this God, he celebrates, he rejoices, just look at what it describes him doing. Verse 9, Jethro rejoiced for all the Lord had done. Verse 10, Jethro blesses the Lord's name. Verse 11, he praises God as greater than all other gods. Verse 12, he gives sacrifices, offerings to God, and celebrates with God's people. It's a precious moment of excitement and joy. But actually what we might not realize is in this moment of Jethro hearing, of Jethro celebrating, hearing and knowing, we have a fulfillment of God's plan that was set into motion back in chapter 3. Because back in chapter 3, Moses encountered God at this mountain. And in chapter 3, God had said, I will bring you back to this mountain where my people will worship me. Where? Get this. Sacrifices will be offered to me. And now we have the whole story of the Exodus, the plagues, the parting of the Red Sea. All these amazing things happen. But who's the person who there at that mountain, at that place, offers sacrifices in fulfillment of God's plan. Who is it? It's the pagan priest, Jethro, who wasn't even there for all the action. Jethro wasn't there, but he is where it's at. God chooses for Jethro to be the one to express the fulfillment of his promises. He's the one who there at that mountain offers sacrifices to God. Jethro, the priest of Midian, the pagan priest, not even part of the people of God. As he hears, he knows. He didn't see it. He didn't experience it. But when he hears about it, he believes. And so suddenly we find that not being there for the amazing, that isn't second best. That isn't missing out. Jethro, in the every day, as he hears and knows, is encountering something amazing. And maybe it particularly shouldn't surprise us, particularly shouldn't be surprise us who live now after we've seen all God has done through the Lord Jesus, because this is precisely what Jesus promised would happen for us, would be the truth 
for us in John 20. Uh, there'll, there'll be some words on the screen from John 20. No need necessarily any need to um, turn it up, but it's, if you'd like to, it's page 1093. Uh, the disciples in John 20 have seen something amazing. The disciples have, um, have seen the Lord Jesus risen from the dead. They've seen him. They've encountered him. And I don't even remember the story. One of them missed out. One of them, Thomas, wasn't around for it. And he's a bit hesitant. He can't quite get on board because he said, I've missed the amazing. I'm not really sure I can believe. And listen to what Jesus, Jesus in his kindness appears to him and has this encounter with him. And in um, uh, uh, these verses, uh, Thomas responds in Genesis 20, uh, sorry, uh, John 20, verse 28. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God, having encountered him. And then Jesus says this. He says, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. But how? How will they be blessed? How are they going to, how are they not going to see and, and yet believe? Well, John's gospel goes on. Jesus did many signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Jesus says, Thomas, you weren't there for the amazing. Well, actually, now I'll give you something amazing. But there will be those who won't. And actually, they will be more blessed. They will have my word. And as they hear my word, they hear in that word an invitation to know me, an encounter with me that is as real, as intimate, as personal, as powerful, or more so than, Thomas, what you had. What we see in Jethro, what we hear at the end of John, is the invitation that each of us have in the everyday to encounter the Lord Jesus, to hear him, to know him. It's a bit like um, I have this letter here. This is, this is uh, dated the 12th of November, 2006. It's the first, it's the letter I got from Mary. And in fact, it's a letter I had before I even met her. I got this letter. Sorry, for those of you in your 20s and younger, a letter is a bit like an email. Just much slower on paper, written by hand. An older person will explain it to you. But uh, this, in a sense, it's not a great example because actually it was just a bit of admin organizing something. But I still have it, and it conveys something of her. It was actually, you know, turned out that it was this start of a relationship. And that letter, we know what that's like, isn't it? When you have that communication, it conveys something of the person. It's, It's maybe a silly example. But that is something of the personal the relational, the intimates that we're invited into as we open our Bibles. So as we look at Jethro, he's an encouragement to us. He's an encouragement that the work of God reached its climax in a person like him, in people like us. You know, you might think, like, I haven't seen anything amazing. My friends haven't seen anything amazing. How can I really be sure? How can they really know? And the response of God is, here, know me. I mean, it might be that if I'm a Christian today, I might be feeling discouraged. I might just be craving something just to give me that boost. Just give me something amazing to make me feel the truth of it, to encourage me and keep me going. And Jesus speaks to us from the Bible and says, hear me in these words. Know me in these words. He comes to us in his words. I mean, it could be that you're here just popping in this morning for whatever reason you've come. And maybe there's a bit of you that is going, okay, what is this Christian thing? Show me something amazing. 
show me something amazing. And Jesus' response is his words. His words to us that we hear preached, that we've been singing, that we're going to share together in communion. It's just actually something very everyday. But in that everyday, it's amazing. And as we see Jethro and that encouragement to us, he can also really be something of a challenge to us. Because wasn't it amazing? We, we've had, the Israelites have lived through so much. They've seen so much. And yet this guy, this priest, this pagan priest, as soon as he hears, he rejoices and celebrates the truth of who God is. And it could be that you and me, we, we've had a story a bit like the Israelites, that we've heard so much, we know so much, we've lived so much, and this pagan priest puts us to shame in his joy and his excitement when he hears even just a bit about God. Well, if that's us and if we feel that challenge, the answer is not to look for something amazing to get us back on track. It's to hear again the excitement of God's word. Hear me, know me. And so if you have... At home, you've got your Bible on the shelf or there on your phone. You feel you've got to kind of listen again to God's word. Understand what it is that's going on in God's word. The power of it. The intimacy of it. Just how personal it is. That Bible on your shelf is the Lord God saying, hear me, know me. Hear me and know me. And as we begin to hear and know, we're going to love to then learn and grow. That's what happens in the second half of this chapter. Because as Jethro hears this message of, of, of God, he, it's like he starts off going, wow, okay, I believe it. And then in the second half, he says, we really need this. I, I believe it. We really need this. As, as, as we hear and know, we now want to, want to continue and learn and grow. Um, he... It, it, he gets up in, um, in the morning at verse um, 13. So, so they've had their, um, their feast uh, at verse 12. They've celebrated together. The next morning, he gets up. He's um, a bit blurry-eyed. He looks around. Where's his son-in-law? His son-in-law's up. He, he, he you know, wonders where he is. Goes out and then just sees this crowd of people. He sees this crowd of people. Um, uh, verse 13. People stood around Moses from morning to evening. And he's trying to get a kind of look at what's going on. And he asked Moses, like, what? I mean, I, you were up before I got up in the morning, and now you're coming back in the evening. You look exhausted. What's happening? And Moses explains. We asked him, what is it that you've been doing for the people? Verse 14 and verse 15. Moses said, well, it's because um, oh, the people come and inquire from me of, of God. People need to inquire from me about God. And he explains that, Look, I have to teach them. Look there at verse 16. So we're back on page 72. The people come to me to inquire of God, and when they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another, and I make known the statutes of God and his laws. We've already heard about the statutes of law and laws of, of God in chapters 15 and 17 throughout. It's been punctuated by this reference to the statutes and laws of God, basically that God speaking to show who he is, what he's like, and how his people are then called to live. And Moses has been, has been helping people to hear that and, imply, and apply that in the nitty-gritty of everyday life. This is what God is like. This is how we are to live. And this is what it looks like in your day-by-day, -day, every day. 
And verse 17 to 25, <clears throat> Jethro looks at Moses. He looks at the people and he says, this just is not going to work. This isn't going to work. Moses said to him, what you're doing is not good, verse 17, with the confidence of a father-in-law. Um, you and the people, you're going to wear yourselves out. It's really interesting. As he looks at Moses and he looks at the people, it's as if he says, he's moved by the need of Moses. He's moved by the need of Moses. Son-in-law, I love you. This isn't, this isn't working for you. But more than that, he's moved by the need of the people. By the need of the people to hear God's word. It's not just that he wants Moses to have a sustainable work-life balance. It's that he wants the people to be able to hear God's word. They need God's word. And it's not going to work if Moses keeps trying to do it like this. It's as if he says to Moses, you do need to teach God's people, but you need to teach God's people to teach God's people so that God's people will know who he is and how to live with him as their Lord. And so he says in verse 19 to 20, sure, God's word comes through you, Moses. But in 21 to 23, you need to pass that word on to others who can pass that word on. So he says, now obey my voice. I'll give you advice. God be with you. You shall represent the people before God. Okay, so you, God's word comes through you. But verse 21, moreover, look for men from all the people. Men who fear God, who are trustworthy, hate a bribe, place such men over the people as chiefs, <clears throat> thousands of hundreds of fifties and of tens, and let them judge the people at all times. Moses, the people need God's word. You need to teach people, but you need to teach people to teach people so that all the people will hear this word, so that all the people can learn and grow. And we find here in, in chapter 18, it's a turning point. It's a hinge in the book of Exodus. Because up until this moment, up until um, chapter 18, 17, 18, God has been doing things, showing his glory to Israel. And then in 19 and 20 um, and onwards, God will give his people his laws and his words so that he can show his glory through his people. And here at the first time, and actually we didn't read it, but if you just glance back to page 71, the very end of chapter 17, something happens for the first time at the end of chapter 17. For the very first time, God involves his people in their deliverance. Um, they fight against this people called um, the Amalekites, and for the very first time, well, God is at work as always, it's God doing it. Moses um, calls out to the Lord. The Lord um, uh, uh, works through Moses. So it's God doing it. But this time, for the first time, God works through his people. Getting us ready for this, this next part of, Moses, uh, of Exodus where God says, up until now, I've been showing my glory to you. Now I want to show my glory through you. And if I'm going to show my glory through you, you need to learn and grow in my words to you. And again, what we see here in Exodus is what Jesus says to us, his people, today. Again, those verses from John 20. That word, 
that brings us belief, that brings us to faith, is the same word that gives us life. The, 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 the same word in which we believe is the word that should shape every part of our lives. And so those words, verse 30 onwards, so verse 30, um, yeah, uh, these things are written in this book, verse 31, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that by believing you may have life in his name, that you would believe that you would live. We need these words to shape every part of our lives. As we, as we hear and know, we're to learn and grow, and for the words in which we believe to be words that shape our lives. I mean, again, just at the risk of a silly example, I could take this letter. The sign that this is more than just a sentimental memento is that now I listen to and I love the words of Mary, that I listen to her, that I grow in that. It'd be a bit of a shame if I just sort of ignored and just said, I'm just treasuring this moment. No, no, don't tell me. Don't, I'm treasuring this moment. No, the sign that I love, this first thing I heard from her, <laughs> is that I continue to learn and to grow. It's a silly example, I know. But we know the truth of what that is in God's word. Okay, thanks, Bill. That's encouraging. But this is so much more important. That word that we believe is the word that shapes how we live. And what Jethro said to Moses is that this, this word is so important. I love it. He's like, I believe this. This is great. Don't you realize, Moses, that people need this? Set things up so that people can hear it. Not just you teaching, but you teaching so that the people can teach, so everybody knows. The first half, we see Jethro receiving God's word. We see Jethro in the second half wanting to see God's word shared. And that is the call that Jesus has placed on our everyday lives. Wherever we find ourselves, we can be those called, we can be those involved in sharing God's word. As mums and dads, God has placed us there so that God's glory can not only be shown to, but through our families. As sort of adopted mums and dads, of church family mums and dads, we need you around us modeling God's word to us, sharing God's word to us. As friends, we want God's word to shape our words to friends. That's what I loved about that men's Bible study. Not just the Bible study and what was going on there on a Saturday morning, but as Damien was saying, the way then from there, his mates were sharing God's words to him so that God's word could shape his life in that hard time that he was describing. And in a moment, we're going to sing. The, the, the next song we sing speaks of each of us sharing each other's burdens, walking with us as God's people. And we do that in the everyday. But it's an everyday that's amazing as God has placed us in each other's way to be those who share his words so that together we can live and grow in the truth that we've already heard and know. So how do we live in the everyday? You know, what happens? How do we cope when amazing seems far away and we feel stuck in the everyday? How do we, how do we cope when the snow has just melted into the sludge? Well, to coin a phrase, you could look every time we drive past an Aldi. Maybe think 
about everyday amazing. God has called us in the everyday to live something amazing. He has given his word to us. He has put his word among us. He has called us to hear and know him. He has called us to learn and to grow in that life we have with him. Let's pray we do that. These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Father God, thank you for the amazing thing you have placed in the midst of the everyday that you have spoken to us, that your word is an invitation to know you, and your word is an invitation to grow in our relationship with you. Please do as you have promised. Work in our hearts. Work among us as a people so that we might, in the everyday, enjoy the amazing of a, of a relationship with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.